0: Hello and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. And today, so guys, if you've ever seen Spaceballs, we're going way back. There's a section in Spaceballs where they're watching some video to figure out where the droids are. And they're in the past and they're like, no, no, not there. And then they're in the future. And then they're like, when does this happen in the movie? And it's now. Everything that's happening now is happening now, and I'm doing the hand thing, guys, which you can't see because it's an audio podcast. We're going to talk about now um, and what's going on now in, in our industry um, from a production and safety standpoint. And I have two fantastic guests with me today who are sort of ESA superstars. Um, we have Jim Digby, president and founder of the Event Safety Alliance, and Boxer Harsin, uh Founder of Bigger Hammer, who's also the ESA treasurer. So, my fellow board members, we are really not going to talk that much about board stuff today. We're going to talk about production, which is the background that all three of us are from. Uh, this is the ESA's tenth anniversary year. Yay! Yay! Uh, yay! yay. So, <laughs> which is cause for celebration, although uh, born out of a need for improvement and. And I think we're at another place in the industry where we're experiencing some significant change and um, reexamining of of our reasonable practices and things like that. So without further ado, Jim, I'm going to start with you. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what sort of work you're doing now?
1: So I spent 30 years sleeping on tour buses and I don't mm-hmm. want to do that anymore. And I learned that because of COVID. Right. I think, I think not to make this anything about COVID, but we all had a chance to pause and self-reflect what, and there's this kind of newfound found understanding, I think for myself. And I think I witnessed that out in the field of work-life balance, or at least like where's my work-life balance, which is something I wouldn't have thought about prior to COVID. So, Coming out of COVID, the idea of going away from home and spending time away from my young children, 13 and 10, uh, was hard. It was hard to see myself doing that again. So I looked for opportunities where I could still do the thing I love to do, uh, second to parenting, um, and, and produce shows, that is, and, and be a part of an ecosystem that delivers marquee events or live events of, of, of scale but not have to be away from home for so much uh, time.
0: So would you I mean, say your most common title is something akin to production manager?
1: Yeah, project manager, production manager, stage manager, staging supervisor, other, you know, providing leadership of some sort in a system that needs needs to, needs to needs that either overall for the entire project or a portion of the project such as delivering the artists. I just came home from, um, the iHeart Daytime Stage in Las Vegas, which was seventeen artists on stage in seven hours, Uh, and I was there for part of the build and I uh, and for the production loadout. And I uh, ran two other um, stage managers alongside myself to get make sure all seventeen artists got on, had a good show, got off, got back in their truck, and and headed on down the road. So I'm so seeing. I, uh,
0: so I, I know you're glad to be home and. Uh... Just in case anybody hears kids in the background, that's because Jim is celebrating being at home, and his kids are off school today. So
1: <laughs> we poorly time we poorly timed this podcast for um, I think Rosh Hashanah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so now the kids are home, and uh, so there's background, plenty of background noise as a result.
0: Which which is good. That's that's which part of great. the joy of of being at home.
2: Um, yeah, it's great. So, and boxer? having a kid with a drum set is always a a gift that he's, <laughs> <I give him. laughs> yeah. Damn that Santa Claus! <laughs> so, yeah. boxer. Hey, uh, ta- ta- go ahead. As you said, uh, my uh, John Hardison, aka Boxer, uh, founded Bigger Hammer Production Services in 1996. I, early in my career, I don't know was the 30ish years in the business. These days, that sounds. Painful very. to say. <laughs> uh I remember very much wanting to have had been in the business for 10 years. And, uh, you know, you kind of blink an eye and uh and all this time has gone by. But um yeah, so I turned pretty heavy on my early career, but realized that I didn't want to be away from home for um for those, you know, long periods of time. Um and so uh started Bigger Hammer providing crew in Southern California in uh, like ninety six and just to you know built it up over the years and um, you know most we focus on providing crew locally and across the country and then um, we do uh, some rigging as well and uh, I still do some one-offs a couple of years um, some tour managing and uh, some stage managing and um, yeah it's an interesting time you know uh, Jim said earlier not to make this about COVID but you know it's the it's the defining of years it's like the of, of drum our set existence. A gift
1: that keeps on yeah, giving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you
0: know, uh, there, there's a thing in in academic circles where something happens um, in in science fiction literature. Once The Lord of the Rings was written, everything that came after it had to either emulate it or react to it. And we're in the same place with COVID. It doesn't mean that everything we're doing has anything to do with COVID, but Everything is affected by that singular event. I'm guessing that World War II was similar for that generation that you know everything that came after it was informed by it in some way and I've used some geeky references in this one guys, and that is just where I am. so congratulations for coming along.
2: I mean, um, you mean spaceballs or World War II <laughs>
0: <laughs> I meant spaceballs
2: okay,
0: and then the Lord of the Rings okay um,
1: oh, okay, it's World interesting, II,
0: but yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: It is the truth, Danielle, as you so eloquently set it up, is that we have to observe ourselves and the business now through the lens of what the impact of COVID, right. because there's no denying that a significant portion of our workforce is no longer doing this job for whatever set of circumstances. I count myself as, as someone who is no longer doing the job the way I used to do the job. And some have just left the business altogether so as as I find myself immersed in these projects from a different uh, angle, I'm not the guy on tour or the person on tour and, or uh, you know i'm i'm um, I'm hosting a bunch of other artists who are on tour. It doesn't have the same look and feel as it used to have. Um, there's yeah. and, and neither does the audience
0: so let's let's talk about that a little bit um and I'm gonna go ahead and include my experience as well, because I think we're all in a similar pool, even though we're doing extremely different types of projects Um, in terms of labor. And here I'm going to use a sports thing, even though I'm not especially great at them. My sports ball thing. Um, My bench of available, talented, delightful workers is very, very, very limited. And if a big Broadway show or a big bus and truck rolls through town, my pool of available workers with any skills at all are not available to me because they're on these bigger things, which puts us in a remarkably challenging place where we are doing things differently. We are investing in some technology that's frankly eliminating the need for some crew for some of our more simple shows, that's not sustainable for things or you really do need four guys on the rail to pull those drops. Well, I can't, at my budget level, automate my way out of that. And frankly, automating is a, isn't a solution for everything anyway. Um, So Jim, I know that project that you were just talking about, that were you seeing on a, on a different scale, were you seeing similar challenges or was it a different type of experience? What were you seeing that you can Sure.
1: Well, I think the, the most recent project felt closer to um, closer to what I think we were before COVID. But the, the, the one of the first stadium shows I had a part in, I was doing the out as the promoter rep, and a major stadium show, one of those combined acts, and it was only the fifth show in for this this collection of folks, and it was so intense and so the work was so nonstop for the touring team that doctors were being called in to lance foot sores, right? So I know that sounds disgusting, but it it speaks to, I think, the amount of work that they were attempting to undertake under conditions of just returning from COVID with not enough experienced crew and crew who is experienced, who hadn't been or is no longer used to being on their feet for that amount of time. Sure. I know we're talking about a very simple thing, but you think about that, I remember my first days trying to keep up with an 18-hour day and having all manner of physical ailments as a result of that that slowed me down. But here was a collection of some industry professionals, some of whom I knew, who were like, I didn't sign up for this. I I don't want to do it like this anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to participate in 18-hour days where no one cares about my physical health, let alone my mental health. Sure. Um, and and i had forgotten what i was putting myself through that covid gifted me this new way of life that now i'm sacrificing again to be back out on the road um and there was a tension level among the team that was didn't feel healthy
0: were you seeing any um generational like like the the older hands were like this sucks, but I've done it before. And the new ones were. So what I'm seeing is the older ones going along with some of it, but the newer ones saying no.
1: Well, uh, I see that in myself, right? I would consider, my, <laughs> I would consider myself a seasoned one. Uh I, I'm going to refuse to say older from now on. I'm just saying seasoned, right, Boxer? <laughs> I'm, I'm a seasoned one. Hmm. And I'd, I I still have no issue with the eighteen hour day, except for the fact that my feet hurt. Um, but there is quite a bit of pushback from the less se- less seasoned folks to be on their feet or in an environment for that many hours. Sixteen hours, maybe eighteen is a bit of an exaggeration, but surely sixteen. So boxer, when you're
0: scheduling crew, working crew, sending riggers out, what are what are you what sorts of things are you seeing?
2: Well, it's it's funny, I was um, talking to a friend of mine who's leaving, working for a promoter to go work for management. And, um, you know, he was commenting that, you know, the buyers haven't slowed down, they're booking as many shows as humanly possible. And he was, you know, up against some show he was doing out uh, a town that, you know, was maybe gonna be short like 90% of the crew. <laughs> And had to send up a nationwide, uh, you know. Did
0: you player. say 90, nine, zero?
2: Nine, zero, nine, zero. Like 90% of riggers and hands for a big, for an arena show. That is um,
0: quite painful sounding.
2: Yeah, and you know, from what I've gleaned, maybe 30 to 40% of our workforce left the business during the pandemic. And that's, you know, in 2017, 2018, I really started to get concerned about the ability to hire experienced crew. Um, and just the rate at which our business is growing and, you know, take two years off and send 40 people to other industries and come back and make zero adjustments for the way we do shows, the amount of time we book them in the size of the shows. Like just literally there's been no adjustments other than people don't lose their shit. If somebody is late, like they used to, (laughs) I think that's basically (laughs) the only, they're happy to have people there. (laughs) You're uh, like,
0: you're here. Go right, do
2: this. Right, right. It's not, you know, um, which is also a cultural shift, and you know, we how you know how do we maintain our standards with you know one hand tied behind our back? I think that really is the challenge. And then you're bringing in people from outside the industry, and that's the the only time in our lifetimes, from you know barring anything else, where you're gonna have this influx of new people all at once into the business, you know, this huge influx, um, you know, you had an exodus, and now we're reaching out to, to bring people into the business. Um, and you know, you're seeing the experience level, average, a, you know, years in the business has got to be lower if you know, I know somebody who is a special events um, a production manager, you know, and he left to go draft tents for emergency response from home because he like Jim enjoyed being home with his family for the last two years and you know got he was supposed to be off and somebody got COVID and he got dragged out to be on this gig and it was like you know his last hurrah was supposed to be at the gig before that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um yeah. yeah production managers that have moved it's not just leaving the business it's also people who relocate a lot too. Um but yeah. you know you're, you're seeing it across the country. Um Sometimes I feel like it's, it's, you know, I can only go off my experience. So anecdotally, sometimes you feel like, okay, we're getting a little equilibrium. And then, you know, um, you're having a hard time filling a call that on paper seems like would be really easy to fill, you know? So it's just, uh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, my average call
0: is four to six people. That's not a huge call to fill. And yet, (laughs) so let's talk about is it
1: difficult to fill six people? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so if I can make one other observation that kind of dovetails into what Boxer's saying, you know, that I'm I'm also kind of hopeful that forever optimist to me, because this this last event this last weekend took, you know, four or five more vendors to fulfill a single task than it normally would. A tenting vendor, for instance, would normally do the whole site, and in this instance, there were two. Um, uh, you know, a staging vendor would normally get the whole site. And in this instance, there were four, including some of the Boxer's people there. Um, you know, and, and where some some of the prior history, pre-COVID, a couple of the vendors that were on site for me this past weekend were cats and dogs. You know, there was a company that split apart and became two of its own very successful entities, but it required both of them on this particular show site to fill what would otherwise be uh, you know again a pre covid reference an easy an easy task um you know the, the one of the ones i just did in philadelphia big one you know philadelphia had red hot chili peppers uh president biden uh ramstein Roms, and made in america all on the same weekend over the same That's show quite a days, bill Jim. <laughs> uh, trying to fill labor calls. So inevitably you're going to get people who don't know and why is this why does this a concern for the esa well because there's so few trained professionals on a show site who know where they're supposed to be. Um, and you know, that obviously, you know, just just I, I was watching forklifts work this past weekend. And I'm thinking to myself, God, the dance around, the, the unchoreographed dance around forklifts to make sure you don't get run over is not something we teach and it's not something we fence off. And it's lucky we don't run people over every weekend let alone having an untrained workforce who's not used to being in that fast moving environment.
2: We did so, a stadium show about a month or two ago. And one of our stage hands, uh, coined it the fork Oh five. <laughs> 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 There's a row of eight forklifts, like just tipping trucks and going to the stage, tipping trucks and go to the stage. So, <laughs> sorry, well,
1: Danielle.
0: So no, so that, that actually was, was pretty perfect for setting up where I wanted to go next, you know, one of the things that we know is we have a largely untrained workforce who is learning on the job, which to be fair, when we all started is how we all learned as well. Um, but there are fewer of the seasoned people to show them the ropes. What sort of trainings and briefings and discussions, you know, it's like, I'm willing to bet that when you guys started like me, there was no high there were no steel toes. On our job sites, you know, riggers didn't if they were a harness, it was just the the little sit seat, harness sit harness. You know, what's different? What's different about this group of people learning on the job? What are we doing better?
2: <laughs> um I think we're upfront trying to give people a little bit of a a better um perspective of what they're going to see on the job that, you know, when I started, you just got a call and you showed up and you loaded a truck or unloaded a truck, and, you know, you pushing boxes. And I mean, that still happens to an extent, but I think the people that we reach out to, because as we, you know, over the last, you know, couple of years, you know, came to the realization that you, you're not going to be able to hire a hundred percent experienced people um, relying more on, um, their, um, uh, personalities on the softer skills, right? You can teach people how to turn a wrench, how to push a box, but the softer skills, if the people with both of those attributes (laughs) are not available, right. With hard skills and soft skills, then somebody that has the soft skills with the aptitude to learn the the hard skills and just trying to, to filter that out. And, um, also trying to have a, a hiring process that's, that's less cumbersome, but still gets really good results. And that's a challenge where it's,
1: it'll never be sorted and something we continue to refi- refine. To highlight that point that, you know, our runway for mentorship, now that our business lacks a formal mentorship kind of program, which would be great if we could just, you know, that's where we're going to have to start. Cause we're not going to get classes tomorrow, but we could sure as heck be better about mentoring tomorrow. But there was a longer runway. Like if you became a stagehand, it would take you a year or more before you move up into something more relevant. You'd have to be, you know, and every, every company is different obviously, but uh, the, because we weren't so short for people, it, you could develop someone longer. You could make them test their skills five or six shows before you give them a, give them a hammer. But now we're immersing new people into roles that are more complicated right away you have to come and be able to do X now uh, without any mentorship or exposure to it. And, and I think that adds to the to the riskiness. I, I was taking time out uh, this past weekend and just teaching people how to operate ratchet straps, you know, yeah. where where to feed the strap through, how to make sure that you don't bind the strap up in itself and, and then putting them through anytime anybody was standing around. I'm like, okay, come on, let's go learn how to do a ratchet strap or let's go learn how to do this. Um, I, I think that's the danger, Danielle. To your point, is that we're emerge, we're grabbing them and chucking them into the hottest part of the fire, uh, short of things like electricity and rigging, of course. But we're putting them in some pretty hot seats.
2: I mean, even with rigging, the, uh, just as many, if not more, riggers. I mean, you know, again, anecdotally, I heard, uh, you know, a lot of the Laotze, um riggers locally in Southern California got uh, pulled into the Uh, local 80 this the uh, movie and tv rigging because they weren't hit as hard as as live events and and now it's comfy yeah hurry up and wait is uh seems a lot better than a a. 6am pre-rig come back at 11 o'clock to load it out um and i don't know about generationally if there's a i'm not a super believer in generations i think people just are (laughs) are people and but i think that people's attitudes shift regardless of their age and you know, as you value your um, personal time a little bit more, Jim, and, and all of us had a, you know, a chance to examine that over the last couple of years is people are more selective about the gigs they take, you know. They don't want to drive as far and they they don't you know, want to
0: drive as far and and
2: they,
0: and conversely it has to be worth their time.
2: Right. And do Either they want financially
0: they, or uh, right, it gets
2: them going. Do they is it, are there people that get motivated because they want to do a big rock show? Not that many people are that excited about doing, you know, experiential marketing events. No offense to our experiential marketing clients. Yeah. <laughs> and I would I would say the
1: third component of that is am I gonna drive all this way? Were is it worth my time to be treated like shit? You know, right. I, right. I, there, there's that there's that old school mentality that still exists out there that the way to get things done is to be louder um, and more abrasive. Uh, and I know that I have less patience to be in that kind of ecosystem, and I recognize that I was, in some ways, that person pre-COVID anyway. So I'm super conscious of not trying to use aggression or trying to use high tension to motivate people um, because it's the right thing to do, and and people are more apt to say, you know, no thanks. I, I don't want to be a part of this because I don't like the way you talk to me. Um, so I think that, you know, there's an opportunity here for a massive, there's opportunity here for a large rethink about the way we conduct our business, the way we treat the humans around our business and, and what has value. And as people ask me what I want to do next, you know, I I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I know what I don't want to do. I don't want to sleep on a bus unless it's absolutely necessary. And that that person I'm sleeping on a bus for that artist has um, some redeeming qualities about them, uh, and that the organization that wants to put me on the bus is going to treat me the way I want to be treated. Um, that's not how we made decisions in the past, by and large.
0: So, something that I'm seeing that's adjacent to this, but is a thing that actually gives me a little bit of optimism, is that we're both in the ESA and other organizations have been ramping up training programs. And I have seen just an outpouring of interest. You know we did a crowd safety symposium here at Furman with uh Eric Stewart. and it was lovely and and it sold out, and we had a waiting list and and it was and people were so invested, and I've seen that with a whole bunch of other training opportunities where people are like, "Can I come what else are, what else is going on um You know, people are already asking us about the event safety summit uh, for 2023. Um, You know, people are very interested in learning things and, um, you know, improving practices. Because just like Boxer with your hiring practices, it's like, we're never done. We can always make it better. And it's as we learn more, we improve, you know, know better, do better. Um, So I find that, A small thing of optimism, it doesn't necessarily help us with the people just coming into the industry, because a lot of times I don't think they have as easy access or knowledge of those particular trainings, but the people that are hiring them are, are re-engaging with that. So I'm hopeful that a bunch of that knowledge will start being incorporated into their practices um, as well. So little,
2: just one thing I want to touch on too, is that because there's such an influx of people who are unfamiliar with the business. You know, not everybody's cut out for this freelance part-timey nature of, you know, the, re- the original OG gig worker, <laughs> they're, they're called <laughs> gigs for a reason, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're also seeing people that try it on for size and leave so that there's higher turnover. And so how do we, how do we retain people? You know, um, some trade unions like, uh, pipe fitters and stuff like that. They have these apprenticeship programs that people go through, you know, multiple years and, you know, our business has just never been set up like that. You know, at a venue, you have a little bit more opportunity, maybe like at a theater where you have some downtime or, or in can,
0: a big city where, where the yeah. IA local is really strong. You've got a little bit more of that built in, but that is not at all universal. So, yeah,
2: we're doing, uh, on site. Um, we we're doing, uh, you know, Phil Van Hest, you know, our, our uh, safety manager, you know, so we're doing on-site rigging, ground rigging, upgrading, rigging rigging training. Um, And those are also, you know, we're always working to improve those. And we saw some, maybe some shortcomings on a gig we did recently where we're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's add that into the mix of what we need to train some of the newer (laughs) people, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, I've I've seen some things recently too, where I was like, Oh, I need to, we need to fix that. (laughs) So while I'm, In this thing, if you guys wanna email us, my email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. And you can tell me about what great training opportunities you've found and what challenges you may be having or what fantastic successes, because frankly, there's been a whole bunch of those as well. I mean, even though we are an industry that is somewhere between 20 to 40% of uh, experienced workers have left, um, we're still doing some pretty amazing things um, uh, successfully. So it's, it's important, I think, to recognize those, those efforts as well. Um, also please, uh, take a second and like, and review the podcast on, on Apple podcasts. It helps other people find it and tell your friends and, and last in the PSA things is, Hey, we would love for you to become a member of the ESA. You can do that on the website, which is eventsafetyalliance.org. Now back to current events. Um, so one of the things that Boxer said was I think that, that buyers are doing all the buying. That is a thing I've seen in, in every market is that every show that ever existed is, is out. And we've added some other things just for fun. Um, it's been interesting to me that we are all saying the same things, regardless of what aspect of the industry we're in, that it's hard. We can't get gear. We can't get people Um The audiences can be challenging to deal with. And yet I haven't seen a lot of recognition of that in terms of how venues are operating, how people are adding shows. I haven't seen any changes in those things. First of all, have have either view. And secondly, is, is that even a conversation worth trying to have?
1: Sure. I'm. I'm not sure I understand. I, I I have observed that all the shows are trying to happen right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> that, and that okay. and okay and, and that that does not take into account whether or not all of the equipment or all of the humans are available right now. I mean, With there's it, no without question. resources to the yeah, show, the,
0: the show yeah. is happening yeah. regardless.
1: As, as previously described, it took four vendors to do it. It normally takes one uh, on this particular small festival. Um so the context to be questioned is. Are the venues experiencing the same challenges? Is that
0: well? Not it, It's like, is there any recognition from promoters or venues or anything that the no? You, no, you guys should see back the back smirks back on back these people's faces if they could. You know, <laughs> if
2: if the buildings can do back to back to back events, you're seeing them do them.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I would I would argue the opposite, Daniel. I would say that there's there isn't it? There are, is continuing effort. To do as many shows as possible, even to the, even to the detriment of the attendance figures, yeah. Because you, you know, many of these things are happening with fifty percent people, in, you know, fifty percent of the t- available tickets sold, or some variation close to that. But they're still going on. Um, they're
0: and is is a is there a bunch of this stuff? Do you guys think a bunch of this is because it's stuff that's been pushed off, and they're just trying to get it done?
2: I mean, yes or no? There's you know everybody who everybody's out, right. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: And then, um, you, you have people who went for you like <laughs> two, you know, they, they sold two nights and they put a third night on sale and then the third night's light, you know, so you're seeing some of that, which is stuff you always see, but it's people, you know, going for it. Um, you know, as far as the, the buyers and the promoters, you know, just trying to put as many shows on sale as they can, you know,
1: it's what they do. Well, and they're up against the idea of artists having to stay relevant as well. Yeah, so sure. it's it's not, I, I would like to think that it's not just greed um, or the need to put every show on sale all at the same time because the industry is now open again. It's, you know, we've got to keep artists in the psyche of those who would go see the shows and therefore shows have to happen, right? There's this, this self-sustaining ecosystem around what we do on Broadway and dance and in live music and you name it, it, it uh, conferences are experiencing the same thing. Um, trade shows experiencing the same thing. But you've got to keep the audience interested in the trade show if you want them to come back again next year. So, yeah, for and the better good, or worse, yeah, the good booking
2: agents who want to develop the careers of the artists, you know, they have, you know, figure out what shows make sense for them, and so you hope. You know, obviously that stuff's still going on, but it's just, uh, it just it's really the shows stack up. And the, the other thing we haven't really touched on is, um, you know, immersive experiences are, you know, um, there's a lot of them going out, you know, and they're, they're a different beast and that they're like, they're, you know, four to six week load ins of, you know, wanting continuity, or at least, you know, relative continuity on that stuff. And that's, that's something that's new to our business, really, unless, you know, we are working on a Broadway show or something, uh, you know, an event that, it's a month and a half load in that hangs around for, you know, three to six months that may or may not need like two technicians or something to, to run it. And then, you know, comes out in you know, two to four weeks, like six months later, it's just, a you're layering in kind of a more complex gig, you know, on top of the, the gigs we're already doing. Um, and so, you know, So
0: are you talk about like the, like the Van Gogh type?
2: Yeah, exactly. Type. Mm-hmm. I think once people saw, oh, people pay paid to this, like anything else, you know, you've got the, the, the um, Netflix stuff that's out, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's a, you know, there's, there's certainly, you know, there's dozens of them that are out. Sure. And, um, and so you're seeing that and something we saw was like, um, it's almost like, it's not quite being on tour, but you know, those personality conflicts that come up on the road when we were, with somebody day in and day out it's it's different than when you're just on a one day gig you know a load in and load out the same day kind of thing um and needing to really have those customer service skill set and um seeing the big picture and like realizing uh you know just that that these are all they're still one-offs even though they're you know taking six you know six weeks to load in and so it's like having a a production rehearsal whatever where things are changing and you may have um crew that's booked for three weeks and then they decide oh you know what we don't we don't need rigors after all and you just build up somebody's calendar for three weeks and uh and then you've just erased two weeks out of it and so um the you know you get that pushback you know from the crew that you know oh hey i dedicated this amount of time to you and and now the gig went away so it's you know, but there's a lot of complexity in what we do these days. And, you know, if uh, you go back to early in our careers, things were less complex. And I think COVID has added complexity and with contracts and, uh, you know, you're seeing, you know, everybody wants insurance certs and that those things are all fine and good. But just the the level of complexity, I was wondering, Jim, did you have a good time at iHeart?
1: I did. Did you have fun, uh,
2: you have fun while you were I, working?
1: I... I... <laughs> I love what I do for a living, Boxer. I love to be in the middle of the stuff, you know, and and I don't know that I'm the best barometer of that because there are folks who are doing it because they got to pay the bills. Uh, I got to pay the bills too, but man, I still to this day love what I do for a living. And as long as I'm not in a dynamic where people are just BS um then i I'm, I'm having a good time so yeah i had a great time yeah. it was hot right. it was stupid and i had a great time <laughs> uh, and there were you know what was interesting though there there is you know if if it's time to talk about the light at the end of the tunnel you know i think at least through my uh, ever optimistic lens i'm seeing greater community i think i'm seeing more time to stop and say hello to the stagehand or more time and stop and say hello to the truck driver and more time to stop and say hello to the artist team uh, or the caterer or the runner. And, and uh, maybe that's just me, but it feels like even though there were cats and dogs in this vendors uh, that were providing on the same site, they, we cared about each other a little bit more and we checked on each other a little bit more and um, Uh, I'd like to think that we've suffered a common enemy, COVID, uh, and nothing bonds people together like a common enemy. And thankfully, it's not a human in this instance. Uh, So maybe, just maybe, the answer is that we consciously grow our community, that we consciously pull each other together and pull each other through this. And we take that minute to teach a ratchet strap um or we take that minute to say hey this is a really dangerous zone right here behind this forklift and i care about you and i don't want to see you get hurt um and i recognize we're talking about it at the at the at the grassroots end but it's got to start there i think cuz otherwise we're counting on the people that hold the purse strings to suddenly be human and and care about the humans that are out in the field doing things and i think i think that com- that compassion's actually going to come from the ground up
0: you know and i don't think Uh, that they don't care. I also don't know that what they, what agency they would feel they would have other than, well, we can make everyone, you know, you have to have OSHA 10 if you're going to be on our job site. But I think those of us who are on the ground absolutely can say, Hey, when this light is flashing, it means this don't stand here, stand over there. And I think those, those small things are, are exactly how we,
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. I I don't think it was fair for me to say that they don't care. I I think, I I think it gets, that becomes the buzz because it's the easy, um, place to point where people aren't being looked after. And Um, and
0: they're, they're viewing things from a, um,
1: much different perspective,
0: different perspective.
1: But But I I was going to circle back
2: on something you said earlier about like not screaming and being like, Hey, can you stand over here? Because I care about you. I really, you know, that's, you know, uh, I think that's the way to approach it. And uh, I've tried both approaches <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in regards to safety, which is the one time you probably hear me seriously raise my voice, but it, even in those circumstances, it almost always that approach is better because it tells the person where you're coming at it from. You're not just there to, to enforce a rule. You're there because you don't want that person to be hurt.
0: Yeah, you know, well, and, and
1: The other psychological nuance, to- sorry, Danielle, go ahead.
0: No, no, I want to hear your yeah.
1: point. the other psychological nuance to that is the lifeguard training, right? You don't shout, don't run at people. You shout, walk. You 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 behave. You demonstrate the behavior that you want them to have, or you or you highlight it in a way that you want it to be, not in what you don't want it to be. It's like don't think of an elephant, okay? Everybody's thought of an elephant, right? <laughs> um, so instead, we say, hey, I, you know, let's be safe by standing over here. Um, And we just need to do that in the workforce more consciously, I think, to, we're not going to pull through this alone. We have to pull through this as a community, I think.
0: Yeah, and and I'm thinking back to, you know, people working on site have so much more, I guess, power, though I don't quite mean it in terms of authority, but I mean, power is in terms of uh, the ability to affect change by both modeling the the better behavior and by just explaining things. Um, I was recently on a site where I saw some things that I was uncomfortable with, but I was in no way able to, I did not have any power there to affect it. All I could do was sort of cringe and make yucky faces, which was not effective at all. So I've been thinking about that a lot. I was like, you know, really, you know, how do, and the answer is the people on, on the, they're already on the ground. Those are the people that, that are able to uh, help people learn how to be safer. All right.
2: And well, I was just going to make an, a quick point, um, you know, speaking of, um, you know, light up in a tunnel or um, silver linings. I don't know exactly if that's right um, what I'm looking for, but there's an opportunity to surface and to train new leaders. And, you know, where that, there is that that vacuum from the, the sound of people leaving the businesses, the new people that are coming in, they're the future production managers, crew chiefs, et cetera. And and they're
0: us. What was it? 30 years ago?
1: (laughs) 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 Pre-seasoning.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that seems like a a perfect place to wrap that up. Uh, Thank you guys very much for talking with me today. Um, I don't know that we've solved anything, but if if you're also in this situation there, you have a little bit of community and us that we're all going through the same thing and there are lights at the end of the tunnel. So thanks, everybody. Stay safe.
1: Thanks, Danielle. Thanks, Danielle. Appreciate the podcast.
0: Talk about what you do when you're not ESAing. I just made ESA a verb and that's fine.